On today's show, we discuss Lee Brand's decision to open the city of Fresno again. Then we hop into the Democrat manifesto and what their platform is in 2020. And then we hop into the last segment where we discuss Thomas Paine's common sense and its implications today. This is the Matt and Chan Show. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Together, we will make America great again. This is the Matt and Jan Show. All right, welcome back to the Matt and Chan Show. It is May 22nd. It is Friday, Chan, at the end of the week. How are you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing great, Matt. It's uh, it's great to be here. Another week done. Uh, we've got some uh, great stuff to get to. And yeah, just uh, starting to, to really enjoy being on summer break. I've got some work starting to pick up. So uh, yeah, it, it's just good to be here. How about you? I'm doing great. Fantastic. It was such a good week. I started my whole workout routine this week, so it's been a good week. I feel good. I just got out of the pool, so still got some water in my ears a little bit, but I'm just ready to rock and roll and get into the news and and some other big things of the week. I just wanted to just talk a little bit about the Clarence Thomas documentary that came out. You haven't seen it, right, Chan? I have not seen it yet, no. I highly recommend it. I think it was interesting. I know I talked with my dad about it this last week that they aired it at like 10 p.m. a few days ago, like on PBS. So it was kind of an odd time to release a documentary I thought was interesting. Um, so well, we won't get into that, but uh, I thought the documentary laid out like clearly his life story, and it was very thought-provoking, and it just goes through his timeline and, and just seeing how he was raised, like his grandfather, and just just the just the high expectations and and I think the biggest thing that was from the whole documentary was about how Clarence Thomas was accused of these different sexual allegations and different things and then what we saw with Brett Kavanaugh in this past two years and everything that happened with that and pretty much the destruction of their name and their reputation because of an allegation that may or may not have been true and we see like the same things we saw with Clarence Thomas with Anita Hill, a professor. And then what we saw with Christine Balzi Ford, another professor, all of a sudden comes out right when this stuff happens. And just not a lot of like evidence. And there was a lot of, and it was such a great documentary. I recommend that you watch it. I just think it was just interesting, the similarities and just how like contentious the votes were, especially since Clarence Thomas it was 51 to 48 in the, the final vote. And then the Brett Kavanaugh, which was even a smaller margin, which was 50 to 48. So I just think it was a remarkable documentary that just outlines. I think I'm probably going to watch it again. Just it was it was fantastic. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have to give that a watch. And uh, you think you could just find it on the PBS website? Yep. A lot of people don't know, but PBS, everything is free public broadcasting. So you can go online. You could watch the documentary. And there's many documentaries at PBS puts out so there's a lot of information on there but if you want to go check it out it's on pbs just look it up and cloris thomas i think that was just wow just a great man and just and what he's done for this country and standing up for the constitution which we don't see a lot and i'm just happy that we're going to start putting in a new segment at the end of the show so make sure you stick around for the whole show and just check out even our last segment if you don't even listen to the main part of the show because i think it's going to be good we're going to go through all the founding documents we're going to talk declaration we're going to talk thomas Paine. Today, we're going to get into more on the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and, and why this country is so great. So I'm looking forward to it. Chandler, do you have any last uh, thoughts on any of that before we move into the show? 
No, I think we should dive into uh, to the news cycle. All right, so first off, we've got uh, Lee Brand. He finally opens restaurants back up to business, and it's a good good thing to have is Lee Brand finally putting this information out there. It's a good thing because for some time now, we've been waiting on him opening up the city of Fresno. We saw the city of Clovis open up. We saw Madera open up. We saw all these different cities around, and Fresno was still very quiet. I think Gary Bredefield, he was out there. He was at the waffle shop that was was uh, was opening up even going against the city's orders, and then the city shutting them down and making them do curbside pickup. I think that was terrible decision by the city. I think Gary Bredefield just put it, being able to come out and just like, and just be the man of the people, I feel like, on the city council. He was the one that wanted to get a vote to open Fresno up. And the fact that even Lee Brand yesterday, I thought this was the biggest thing, Chan, is he didn't, he didn't, Lee Brand thanked everybody, including Dyer and everybody that worked to get the city open except Gary Bredefield. And I think that was, I thought that was, uh, I think that was, he was targeted just because he was very outspoken about the issue that we needed to open up Fresno and he just kind of put it. So it's just a good thing. Chandler, what do you feel like? Is it, is this the right time? Is this better late than ever, right? Yeah. And, and I think I've been pretty clear about this. I don't think the government should be as involved as they are in uh, making these decisions. You know, individual businesses that want to stay closed or want to mandate wearing a mask while you're in their store or, or things like that, I'm all for that. Um, but as little government as possible intervention, um, I, I think is a good thing. So I'm glad that uh, City of Fresno finally is easing back on the shelter-in-place orders um, and allowing more businesses to open. So it, it's a very good thing. It's uh, necessary. And I think... Uh, if they would have done it earlier, there's probably some businesses that would have uh, really benefited from that. Uh, you know, businesses that may be going out uh, out of business as a consequence. But um, like you said, better late than never. And um, hopefully there will be a, uh, a good resurgence in the economy uh, here in the Central Valley as, as a result. Yeah, and the big thing about the shelter in place, this is specifically targeted at restaurants that are restaurants and businesses that aren't closed by the state. So Gavin Newsom still has beauty parlors and different things. Those are still closed. So those those businesses will continue to suffer under Newsom's state state decision on that. So that's a big thing to look at. And then the big question is churches. When are we going to get churches back up and running? And we've been saying since the beginning, I feel like there can be ways that 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 we can manage this whole thing with with churches. You have to be able to you can maybe do multiple services during a day, smaller group gathering, social distance. And I think we're at a time where we're getting close to, I think, where, where churches and, and different things with the live feeds and things every week that we can maybe move towards social distancing measures. We'll hear more on churches next week, I guess, is what Lee Brand was talking about. But in regards to the shelter-in-place situation right now and everything being lifted, and officially it's supposed to be on Tuesday, May 26th at 12.01 a.m. So these are some, some good things to look at. I think they'll be... I think masks are going to be required in most businesses still, but you won't. They're just recommending it now. I don't think you don't have to have a mask everywhere you go, but when you enter a business, they want you to have a mask on. So I just think I think this next year is going to be quite different. I think you're going to be required to wear a mask at least for the next six months that I can see, maybe to a year. Maybe I I don't know how long we're gonna because like we said. We want to flatten the curve, but like you said, right, Chandler? What what do we, what's flatten the curve? You want to want to tell our audience what flatten the curve was originally? Yeah, I mean, originally there was a concern that there was going to be this severe spike 
in the number of cases, similar to what uh, China saw in the Wuhan province or what Italy saw, um, especially near uh, Milan, I'm pretty sure, uh, there in Italy, uh, where it completely overwhelmed their healthcare system. But uh, the flatten the curve would mean if you're not trying to get rid of uh, infections when you flatten the curve. You're trying to uh, mitigate how quickly the disease spreads. Um, so there's still going to be roughly the same number of people who get the disease. I've seen a, a handful of different projections and models uh, if there are measures taken versus if there's not measures taken. And it really doesn't do a, a, a big uh, or it doesn't cause a big change in the total number of infections or the total uh, number of cases uh, that are seen. Uh, what it does affect is how the healthcare system can absorb the number of cases. And that part does affect the death rate. So flattening the curve uh, is a good thing with a, a disease that is highly infectious and potentially deadly uh, like COVID-19. So it's a good measure, uh, but you can't continue the measures that were initially taken to flatten the curve indefinitely yet. That's not a, a model for success. So uh, I definitely think that things like wearing a mask might be part of life for now, at least for a while. Uh, and we should get used to that, like when you're outside. Uh, I know there's a, a story recently, and we don't have this in the show notes, but you may or may not have seen this. There's this guy who walked into a Costco um, and he said, I'm not going to wear a mask. Like, you can't make me wear a mask. It's a free country. But the business has the freedom to uh, to decide whether you, you know, the business can choose whether or not they'll serve you, and, and they can set conditions yes. for that, like wearing a mask. So um, just a reminder to everybody listening, yes, it's a free country, um, but if you go into a business that's requiring a mask, they're free to, to require that or refuse you service. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I think that was just a little bit of a tangent. But, yeah, I definitely think uh, – Flatten the curve has been uh, transformed a bit into uh, a government overreach on our freedoms. Yeah, exactly, 100%. And when we look at the the impacts on the economy, and, and a lot of people go, okay, well, the economy is more important than lives. And we're not saying that. Like we've said on past episodes, it's it's about it's about livelihoods and stuff. There, the thing is, if you, you close indefinitely for a long period of time, say six months, there won't be a job to go back to. There won't be businesses open. This is something that we've seen over and over again in the past two and a half months since this began. And we see livelihoods destroyed, businesses closing. It's each week we see a new business close in different states across the country. And when you want to, when we've seen is a lot of these Democrat states are staying closed, like California. And you look across the country and you have like Florida and DeSantis and the and the fact that he opened up the state and he took a lot of backlash on this whole thing and the fact that the state's numbers are decreasing the hospitals aren't necessarily they're not overwhelmed as we've seen in California they're furloughing doctors across the country because there's no demand and the big thing is people are scared to go to the hospital because they feel like they're going to get COVID-19 so it's like we prepared for the hospitals for this overrun and now the hospitals aren't being used. So now they're furloughing doctors and, and people aren't going to work. And I just ran into somebody yesterday and at, uh, at Starbucks, social distancing outside. And I was just talking to her and she was like, yeah, uh, yeah, I got furloughed at work. And 
she's like, yeah, just until we get back to, she's, she worked in retail, and I was just kind of surprised to, to see that just many people are out of work right now, and people are just kind of dying to get back to work. They always go, oh man, I love a, love a vacation from work, and people always kind of nag about going to work, but when it's taken from you, like the way that the government has shut down this country, it's, it's not a good thing. And we're going to get into that in our next segment, and we're going to talk about the Democrat Manifesto, and what are the three main points on why the Democrat Party does what it does, and pretty much the truth behind a lot of the lies and the good intentions that the Democrats try to push. So stick around, and like, like and subscribe if you want to see more of this content, and make sure you stick around for our closing segment. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Matt and Chan Show. We are going to get into the Democrat manifesto. Chandler and I went to town this week. I asked him to put up his top three list of, of main points to discuss what the Dem Democrat manifesto is and why it's important that you know these things. And me and Chandler did our top three. So Chandler, we're going to go back and forth. If you want to tell me yours or I can start, vice versa, I think, I think that'd be good. Do you want to start? Yeah, I'll jump in. So uh, first off, I'll, I'll just say like my goal with this was to pick uh, pick three ideas that you know your average well-informed Democrat uh, voter or you know not necessarily like the most elitist politicians, although like, I think it still holds true for them, but would agree with uh, and wouldn't find like. Uh, problems with my wording mm -hmm. uh, is that government is responsible for fixing societal injustices. So it's government's responsibility to address any sort of issues of uh, injustice or any sort of issues of inequality. Um, and and it, it leaves very little up to personal responsibility. So that's, that's the first big thing that um, I feel is essential to the Democrats platform. Yeah, and I'd have to agree with it. And you're talking about like pretty much the government coming in and legislating these rules and different things that we need to fix, that we need to be we need to all be equal, that we all should be fighting these injustices, that the government's gonna take care of us, like that kind of like a parental type government, right? A paternal, the paternal type government, right? Exactly like that, yeah. And, and the, the reason why that's so immoral is that it takes away from the individual's responsibility. You know, there are certain, uh, certain tasks that the government is, uh, is in charge of and certain responsibilities that government has, but those are so much fewer and less important than what the individual's uh, responsibilities are. And then the company rights. Uh, if you take rights away, or if you if you take responsibility away from the people, you're also taking rights away from people. Exactly, and actually, it kind of goes into my first one as well. And my first thing of the Democrat platform is divide and conquer. And when you look at it, when you look at these social issues and different things, you create a divide in the people. And there's there's this quote I can't remember who it's from, but it's it's uh, divide and conquer. And like the, if you divide the people, it's an easier way to rule the people as we've seen the past hundred years of socialism and communism and every, every type of authoritarian regime. We saw Mussolini, we saw Stalin, we saw Hitler, we saw all these millions of people die because they, you, you create this, this, this system 
in order to divide the people and you get people thinking and believing in ideology such as Nazism and you get people thinking this and and like we see in the US there is a clear partisan divide you're either on the left or you're the right there's no middle ground and that's where they want us they want to divide us as a people and that's when you look at your different things like you said societal injustices you create a divide you have things like black lives matter or different LGBTQ groups and you create these okay you're going to you're in this group you're in this group you're in this group and you and the Democrats, a classic trick in the Democrat playbook is you're looking, hey, they don't care about you. The Republicans don't care about you. That that other side, they they hate you. And and the fact that when you when you look at the whole scheme of things, if people are a lot easier to be corralled into into communism when you have them thinking the government is 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 like in terms uh the, not government but the terms of like the capitalist systems working against you. And I think that's the easiest way that the Democrat Party gets people hooked in. This is not, like you said, societal injustices. And they and they and the good thing is they or the bad thing is they use good intent to trick people into believing that they're they're on their side. And I think that's the biggest issue with the Democrat Party today is is they're coming in and they're and they're baiting, hey, we're we're gonna fight for you, we're for the people, like the party of JFK, which is no longer the party today. And it's just it just shows you their their true colors, and I think it's 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 a bad thing. Yeah, I I think that's a really great point. And it also, um, when you're talking about that, it, it kind of reminded me. Think about the uh, the Republicans, conservatives who do fall into the groups that uh, the Democrats assume will belong to them. So you know, when you have Black Republicans or Hispanic Republicans or um, LGBTQ uh, Republicans. The Democrats uh, are so adamant about fighting for, for these groups until they disagree with them, right? Mm-hmm. So you get um, like YouTubers, the Hodge twins, right, who who are very outspoken and sometimes a bit of uh, like shock jock type uh, content. But uh, you know they're they're black Republicans, and the left hates them. And and it's just it's it's widespread. It's it's like, and I thought this was interesting yesterday. I don't know if you saw this, but the Trump campaign came out with. So you know the view that comes on local television every day, right? Mm-hmm. So the Trump team came out and they put yeah. out a show called The Right View. So it's a bunch of conservative women that are coming out and they're talking about issues that are are present instead of like what we see on. Whoopi show the view and how everything now it and it, it, the thing is the show didn't start out like that it was just all it was about strong women coming out they're going to voice their opinions and now it's just an anti-Trump show everything's just anti-Trump what can we bash Trump on and everything in the news media is and I think just to go back to your point on everything about it's just that's that's the way that the Democrats work and when they divide us like this like we're all Americans. We all have freedoms. We all have our different strengths and differences. But the thing is, when you focus on the differences, that's when they create that divide. And that's when people start fighting. And we see this partisan, this partisan divide in our politics. Like people, people can't have a conversation anymore. That's, that's gone. Civil debate is gone. And we just, it's, and it kind of sucks because you can't have a conversation with somebody of a differing opinion without getting into pretty much a full on boxing match with the person just because, they they don't agree with you, and I think that's that's the biggest thing. So, 
And so Chandler, what's your number two? So that's so your first one is government is responsible for f fixing societal injustices and the minds to divide and conquer. I think that's the big thing of the Democrat Party now. And that's what I think is the, the key element. So Chandler, what's your number two? Yeah, so my second big point of the Democrat manifesto is that inequalities between the wealthy and poor or between the successful and unsuccessful must be mitigated. And the key word there is must. So I think we saw this very clearly um, in this most recent Democrat presidential uh, race. Uh, so, so fighting for that Democrat nomination, there was pretty much unanimous, uh, except for a couple of late entrants, uh, pretty much unanimous uh, agreement that it is immoral to be a billionaire. Like, not that it, uh, not that there are some billionaires that are bad, or they're uh, not that sometimes you know billionaires use their money and power for for bad things. No, it's that it's immoral to have a lot of money. Like, what kind of nonsense is that? It's absolutely ridiculous to say that somebody who started a company had success um, by investing their capital into um, into people's lives uh, for that to be wrong. So I, I think uh, you see that, uh, you know, they talk about, like, uh, Jeff Bezos of, of Amazon, uh, who's not even conservative, right? But they, they hate him, and, and like, when... Uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez fought to keep Amazon from uh, opening a major center in uh, her district in New York. Uh, that was like, there, there's this uh, contempt for um, the more successful people. I, I need to look up a quote that just popped into my head. Um, it's something along the lines of hate the man who is better than you. Um, uh, you know, but, but overall, what are your thoughts on, uh, on that second point? Yeah, Chandler, and I think this kind of feeds off, and it's funny because we didn't even talk about this before. We said, I told you, I said, hey, Chan, do you think you can come up with three things about what you think the Democrat manifesto is today? And it kind of feeds into this one because you're talking about inequalities between the wealth and the poor and, like, mitigating this, that we can't have rich people and we need to have, we can't have this, a capitalism, it's just a whole bunch of capitalist pigs that are just greedy and that's that's just what all this is all about and that's crony capitalism we don't we don't support that we we support free enterprise we feel like competition's the best way to even out every everything in the market like government regulations isn't the best answer for anything because government when big government takes over doesn't work and so what i think is a big thing to look at is the democrats and my second point is the destruction of america they want to rewrite history and they want to the thing is you look at the democrats the constitution is literally it's it's uh it's just a, a suggestion it's a suggestion to them they feel like they don't have to and the thing about the democrats so they can go on the tv and they can go on there and lie they can tweet out all this misinformation and we saw in in the clarence thomas they did not want clarence thomas on on the on the court because he he was a uh, he supported, supported life, and he, and he supported liberty and freedom and the Constitution, as seen in the documentary. And when you look at the Democrats' goal, is they go up there, and, and the thing that just makes me crazy is when I'm watching the Democrats on TV, and when I see them, and I'm watching C-SPAN, I'm watching news conferences, is, is they just don't have any respect 
for the Constitution that this country was founded on. It, it's just, it, they're pretty much giving them the middle finger. And I think that's the biggest thing to the, their key plans is they don't want to see a capitalist America. They want to see a country led by one to maybe five leaders. They want to see like a Russian revolution of 1918. They want to see the government have total control over the people. And the thing is, you're living it right now. You're living it in California. You're still seeing in Democrat states that they have this authoritarian rule. That's the way they want it. They want to be able to control. And I think what's great is even in the Federalist Papers, they describe this and, and a lot of the founders discuss is a lot of people have high tolerance to, to pain. So when rights are taken away, slowly and slowly and slowly, when it officially hits you that you've lost all your freedoms, you didn't even realize because they do it so slowly. And I think that's the Democrat. They just undermine the Constitution and ultimately what this country was founded on. And they move it toward, like we said, the Democrats, I don't even, I don't even think you can call it the Democrat Party. And we, and we give them the benefit of the doubt to call them liberals. I think they're like Mark Levin says, statist. They, they believe that the state should control everything. And I think ultimately if we go down this path, we aren't going to see the same America that this country was founded on. And they would love to see a new constitution established like where they, where they address societal inequalities and different things that you talked about, Chan. And that's my second point. Um, so we're going to move into our third point. I think it's even, I think it's even a bigger thing. Uh, I was already kind of touching on my third point. But Chandler, what is your third point in, in the Democrat manifesto? Yeah, so with my third point, I, I picked something a bit more of a specific policy uh, issue. The other two were more general concepts, but I feel for some reason this is so possessed the, the Democrat Party. And my third point is that abortion on demand is a human right. And I've heard this I mean, directly out of the mouth of leftists. It's really awful, uh, awful speech. I don't think, um, I don't think it values the sanctity of human life uh, nearly as much as, uh, as we should. And uh, it, it really is an evil, evil thing to, uh, to say that an unborn human uh, doesn't deserve to live. Are there certain circumstances where maybe uh, we would consider uh, there being reasons, maybe, you know, if the life of the mother is at risk, uh, um, something like that. But to say that abortion on demand, whenever you want it, at any stage in the pregnancy is a human right, um, that's just obscene. You know, I was listening to uh, Matt Walsh the other day. He was on uh, one of my favorite podcasts called Times with Aquinas, which is this uh, Catholic, mainly theological podcast. But he brought on Matt Walsh, who, uh, as you know, is a, a conservative speaker. He's part of the Daily Wire. Um, and he said that even if uh, he disagreed with Republicans on a lot of issues or he had problems with um, a certain Republican's stance on certain different issues just on the issue of abortion alone he could not vote democrat and i really love that statement um because the the value of human life is so important and to um to have a party-wide stance that abortion on demand is a human right is it's obscene and evil it's, it's ridiculous so i'm gonna go into my third point chan I don't know if you had any closing thoughts on on your on your part right there. No, please jump into your third point. So you my th well. so my third point I already touched on it, but like I said, 
we had the destruction of America number two. And I think the last thing is like I've said before, authoritarian rule. That was my last thing. And just having complete control over everybody's, everybody's freedom and liberty. You're having, you're taking, you're having the government take control of everything, your healthcare, your schooling, the government's telling you when you can and cannot go out. And, and if you should have, one or two ch- uh, two children, as we see in China, as they had the one the one child or two child policy there, and we should control like how many people live, how many people die, and I think that is the last part of the Democrat manifesto, and it's just it makes me it makes me sad to see that we have history backing all of these different societies and that have crumbled because of authoritarian rule, and the fact that it's it's now becoming mainstream and that socialism is cool. And I think socialism, when you look at it, people go, oh, well, it's good because it's supposed to make us all equal. It's supposed to make us all on the same page. But in in doing that is is you're taking away the individual. And like you said with the abortion, which I think that, that flows very together in that, in that regard, is you're taking away individual liberty that when you have an abortion, you're taking away that, that person, that being, like individual liberty and i think when the when the government does that that's it's not a good thing so i just that's my those are my three things so we had divide and conquer to start then the destruction of america my last point authoritarian rule the ultimate goal for the democrat party today and we see them get closer and closer to it as they become more radical in the way uh i don't even like to say the word anymore after reading mark levin's book uh, on freedom of the press and uh, tyranny, uh, the tyranny and uh, freedom or tyranny and liberty, uh, that book as well. And I just think it's like, wow, it is it is a statist, the statist goal. Like that's their goal. They're they want to be the main control of the country, and and we see that every day. And then Chandler, what you want to sum up your three points as well? Yeah. So um, you've got mine are definitely uh, less that. Uh, suitable for uh, for saying quickly and easily you, you did well in seven years up uh, nicely um, but my, my three of government being responsible for fixing societal injustices inequalities between wealthy and poor and successful and unsuccessful need to be mitigated also side note I, I did find the quote that I was thinking of uh, related to that and it was from Henry Hazlett uh, and the quote is the whole gospel of Karl Marx can be summed up in a single sentence Hate the man who is better off than you are. Uh, and that is uh, very uh, telling of, of the current Democrat Party. Uh, and then the third one being that abortion on demand is a human right. And so very, very similar to yours. Um, I, I think I just used more words to say pretty much the same things you said. Uh, um, but, yeah, there, there's a, a idea here that the government is the one who's supposed to make these decisions. And... Um, I just, I don't go for it. I, I think uh, too many of these decisions uh, need to be uh, left up to the people. And, and the government is, uh, especially when the Democrats have the control, uh, is uh, overstepping in all of these areas. Yep. And Chandler, I just, I liked that you said, you, and you said that it's the same thing in more words. And I think just having the the ability and the freedom to be able to express our viewpoints is such a blessing. We actually just you think about it. We do this show. This is this is episode twenty. We've been doing this for twenty weeks. 
this wouldn't happen in China. We, if we made a podcast in China doing something like this, and we were talking about the, the different things in, uh, in government, oh my gosh, we'd be dead. We would be in prison. So it's just like when you look at the, the state of the United States and the, the ability to have the freedoms that we have to come out, and, and we look at the overarching theme as we made all these different points, but the, the whole thing of it all is, is that government, government control is the ultimate goal. All these things will fall underneath. They'll all fall into place. And I think we see it every week. And that's why I look forward to our closing segment, which we got coming up next. We're going to go into Thomas Paine's Common Sense. And I think this is going to be great. We're going to pull up some viewpoints and different things from Thomas Paine's Common Sense. And we're going to pull out a few quotes and, and talk about what this, the significance of this pamphlet that was released in February of 1776, the same year as our declaration. And we'll get into more specifics on that in our next segment. So please stick around, like, and subscribe if you are on iTunes. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Chan Show. This is Closing Corner. And we just got out of a pretty like heavy segment, I feel like, with the Democrat Manifesto and there was a lot of stuff we talked about, and it's just a lot of touchy subjects in there as well, and, and just really uncovering what the left and its goals are in, in pretty much destroying American values this country was founded on. And this is why we're going to start our new segments, and our, or at least our closing segments, in, in everything that's based in the founding of the country. We got the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, Declaration, and we're going to talk today about Thomas Paine's common sense. But Chandler, for some reason, I don't know why I'm feeling this, but I feel like we were missing something in that last segment. Do you feel like we were missing something in that last segment at all? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, we need to consider not only just on a uh, conceptual level uh, that, okay, these are some of the things the Democrats uh, believe in, but on a very practical level, you know, we live in a democratic republic uh, here in the United States where we have the freedom to, uh, to vote um, if you're 18 years or older. And, uh, you know, I, I think we should uh, exercise that freedom uh, and that responsibility. And, uh, you know, if you disagree with the, the platform that the Democrats stand on, that Democrat manifesto that you and I both laid out some points uh, that, that we feel are, are key to the Democrats, um, if you disagree with those things, Go out and make your uh, make your voice heard by uh, voting. Uh, you know, especially in the presidential election, November third. Uh, you know, uh, you might not love Trump, but who he's running against uh, is definitely going to be a lot worse. Whoever that ends up being, it seems like it'll be Biden. But uh, yeah, and even that yeah. right now, I don't even I don't even think Biden. He's just he continues to drop, and especially in the battleground state. And the thing is, the polling data they're putting out. Why are we even looking at the polling data? It's it's May, um, and I think we just really got to look at the big picture of things. I think everybody's like, "Oh man, Donald Trump!" Like, in, in some parts of these polls, they're saying Trump's losing by 15 points. I'm like, not in the world. They said Hillary Clinton was supposed to be supposed to be a landslide victory, and then you see all these states start to flip on election day, and all of a sudden Trump's the president of the United States, and and we got a lot of stuff we can get into all that stuff. And I just think in this last segment we had with the Democrat manifesto. There are many layers to the Democrats. There are you can go back many, many years in in the way the platform has changed. And it always it always cracks me up when people say, Oh yeah, the party's changed. I'm like, no. 
and actually, I think it was this week, 1860, I think it was March 21st, 1860, and correct me if I'm wrong out there, uh, audience, but that was when the Republicans established their, their party. That was, that was when it was created, and, and it was to make sure to, to push back and not expand slavery, which the Democrats were for since the beginning of, this, since the beginning of their party. So it's, and it's funny because people always say, oh, yeah, they, they flipped. And, oh, they didn't flip. They just they evolved. And, and different things. And now we're seeing this completely different party, the, the Democrats. And I, I can go on and on about how the Democrats are, their they're double standards and, and just what the, the work they're doing to, to change the fundamentals of this country. I don't want to take too much time away from our closing segment and Thomas Paine, but Chandler, I think you made an excellent point. We got to remember November 3rd this year is going to be a big election for the future of America, especially after the COVID crisis. Who do you feel is going to instill enough belief in in a president that is going to be able to lead the country out of this this temporary recession, we will be back. We are America. We fight, and we will we will be back on the world stage. I think that there might be a little bit of delay in that because it is a lot of work to get uh, people back up and working again. And I think we're just get, we're going to see a lot of big things. I think this next this next four years of Donald Trump is elected, and at this point in time, I feel like Donald Trump will get reelected. I think people vote with their wallets. And they, and they vote with somebody that's going to get stuff done. And Donald Trump, like no other president before, has come in and completely changed the game by actually following through on his promises. He didn't come in and go, read my lips, no new taxes. No, he came in and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure tax cuts get passed. I'm going to make sure that, that all these things, these, that I'm going to go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that immigration reform, which still needs, there needs to be still more stuff that's done about that. But he came in. And he changed the way the country, unemployment numbers nobody's ever seen, GDP growth, they said that was gone under the Obama administration. There's just, the list goes on and on. And, and that's why I continue to fight. I'm looking forward to this next year and starting a Turning Point USA chapter at my university. So we can stand for freedom and liberty on college campuses. Me and Chandler are starting that up at Fresno Pacific. And I think this, this election is going to be big. I think for the future of America and what direction do we want to go. And we're going to keep asking that question the next following few weeks as we discuss the founding documents and why why the, why America is the greatest country in in the world. No other country has has done exactly what America has done. Many people have modeled their constitutions and their democracies after the United States, but nothing is like America and people people want to come to this country because of the greatness and the principles that this country founded on. So we're going to get right into Thomas Paine's common sense um, and we're just looking at when this this was published. This is published in in February of 1776, in the same year that we declared independence. And by this point, as you already know, there are already tensions. The Revolutionary War started in 1775, and and with all the events coming up, and the Congress, the Continental Congress, deciding, hey, do we need to declare independence from England? Should we should we go to war with them? Is that the right decision? Should we give them an olive branch? Because Britain, they've been so nice to us. They've they've taxed us. We're gonna we're gonna go. We're gonna it's we're getting all this great treatment, and I think Thomas Paine reflected what people at the time are were feeling about the revolution. I think it it like gave people a sense of the revolutionary spirit that hey, we are gonna be free. We're gonna be independent. We don't need Britain. This little island in the sea across the ocean ruling and making all the decisions for us because it is not that your rights are given from a king, but they are given from God. And that's where I think Thomas Paine executed. And the thing is, Thomas Paine, by any means, was not 
a Christian man who's agnostic, like some of the some of our founding fathers, but he believed that in order to do so, he quoted the Bible many times in there. Chandler, if you want to have those pulled up, so when we get into that, and 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 just using it against King George, that that these are the rights are from God, that this is not not the not the way that government should be with a king and one person. So um, Chandler, so it's broken up into many parts, and as we said. Uh, the, the key element of Thomas Paine's common sense is the independence from England, of course, and then uh, the creation of the Democrat, like Democratic Republic of the United States, and and pretty much just going right at it with with uh, like we like to say common sense. He wanted it be to be for the common people. That was the goal of Thomas Paine's argument here. So Chandler, uh, you wanna you wanna kick us off in I don't know if you wanted to I I know I kind of talked a lot there on just Thomas Paine I just think it was good to give a good basis to our audience on what we're gonna try to address in Thomas Paine's Common Sense. Yeah, uh, well, first off, I just want to point out you, you made an excellent segue from uh, talking about the election into our founding documents. So uh, goes to you on, on really crushing that segue there. Um, thank you, thank and, you, man. And, yeah, I, I think it's very important. <laughs> It's really important to uh, to start with uh, this document, um, like you said, coming uh, in in early 1776. We, we of course know that the Declaration of Independence would be signed in July of 1776. So um, largely influential uh, pamphlet. Uh, I know it was met with some opposition, uh, but uh, was also widely accepted. That it was uh, a very widely distributed uh, pamphlet throughout the American colonies. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I gotta admit, I'm not like an expert by any means on uh, this document or really our, our founding documents as much as I'd like to be. Uh, but uh, that being said, you know, uh, the the importance of uh, common sense as a um, uh, a move towards independence for America uh, can't be understated. Uh, you know, the um, the, the first. Uh, section you, do you want to just walk through the section just very briefly or, or how do you want to go through this um we can just kind of start off i know the first section i have my hillsdale constitution reader which has all the founding documents in it it has everything that this country was based on i think i highly recommend it it cost me 25 bucks on amazon to buy it i think it's a great read and just a shout out to hillsdale college i might be possibly going there for grad school but they do a free constitution course they have many other things philosophy history religion and they have a great course on Genesis. They have all these different great, great courses. So I guess give them a shout out. I know they're not a paid sponsor of ours, but I just feel like it's a necessity. They're the one, the only college in the United States that doesn't take any federal money. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cool thing to have a university that's like, hey, we're solely independent, just like they wanted the United States to be from Britain. And I just want to start off just in the first section. The first section, of course, describing the origin and design of government in general. And I just think. I'm just going to read this quote real quick, and it's just right after his first paragraph, after he kind of gives the intro, and uh, and I thought it was interesting, and he just shreds up the Constitution, the the English Constitution, not the not what would eventually be the United States Constitution, but I think it was a great quote to start off. He goes, "Society in every state is a blessing, but government, even in its best state, is but a necessary evil; in its worst state, an intolerable one." For when we suffer or are exposed to the same miseries by a government, which we might expect in a country without government, our calamity is heightened by reflecting that we furnish the means by which we suffer. Wow. He just gets to the point, like government right here. 
and it, it and it's not supposed to be an overarching like presence and he goes into it and talks about the way that the parliament interacts with the king like if the power is actually with the people to check the king then why the why why is this put in like if the king has ultimately the the rule over the people and and i think he goes in here to shred this up because you're looking at the the united states they're the 13 colonies are being ruled by this one guy king george like he's there and and he just goes to town i don't chandler did you have any thoughts on on this quote it's just the thing is like in society, every state is every state is a blessing, but government, even its best state, is a necessary evil. So it's just, and that it's intolerable. Yeah. We will suffer. I, yeah, go into it, Chan. I I love the uh, saying that at best that government is a necessary evil. You know, that's a very libertarian thing to say, and I think uh, Payne would largely agree with uh, modern libertarians in that wanting as small of government as possible and, and talking about the uh, the tyranny of the king and the aristocracy in uh, in England and, and how that didn't, they didn't look out for the interests of the people and that leads well into a second section uh, of monarchy and hereditary succession. Um, you know, get, getting to the idea uh, of the, the importance of, uh, of who is going to do the ruling. I, do you have any uh, good quotes or, or any good uh, content to, to talk about that second section? Yeah, Chan, I actually do have some some stuff I want to pull up from this this second section, and it's it's highly important to to look at this with Thomas Paine, especially as agnostic, as he comes at it with a biblical argument, which I think is is great to see. As especially at the time, a lot of people are well versed in Christianity, especially having to leave Great Britain, so they are able to practice, and that's one great thing about the founding and just the, the creation of America, just the ability to have the freedom to worship. And he comes in with uh, some different things, some quotes from right here in the text. And I think it's interesting as he comes in and uh, let me make sure to get this right. Oh, so he goes, government by Kings was first introduced into the world by heathens from whom the children of Israel copied the custom. And I was just like, wow, he goes right into it. And just to look at, the uh, the biblical analysis right here, and then he goes and he continues in even in the next paragraph, and he says, as exalt as the exalting one man so greatly above the rest cannot be justified on the equal rights of nature, so neither can it be defended on the authority of Scripture for the will of the Almighty as declared by Gideon and the prophet Samuel, expressed disapproves of government by kings, and this is the whole theme here in the second section is that kingship is not justified and he does this through the bible and and it's and it's a good thing to look at because he's all hey no uh, the relationship between kings and uh and subjects this is not this is not going to be the way america uh declares its independence and so chandler isn't it quite interesting that somebody who's agnostic is using biblical biblical backing here in the second the second segment how important that was in, in eventually what the founding would be, especially in our declaration. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it was very wise from making an argument, uh, especially in their culture where uh, biblical knowledge was probably uh, a decent amount more prevalent than it is today. So it was, it was a great decision uh, in terms of making an argument. I think it was a, a valid argument as well um, in terms of, uh, the, the, not necessarily that it's wrong to have a king, um, 
but certainly that it would not fit at all um, in the way that Americans wanted to be ruled, um, and, and largely that Americans wanted to rule themselves, uh, both on an individual level and then obviously as a, a national uh, level, uh, because he, uh, Thomas Paine did uh, play a large role in influencing America to uh, declare its independence from Great Britain. So, uh, yeah, I think that was uh, it was a wise decision to turn to biblical examples to make his points, and uh, even with him being agnostic and not necessarily believing the stories of the Bible, um, to pull from them uh, was a smart move on his part. And I think it would be cool to even have, I know my my grandma Sherry, she's very well-versed in biblical scripture, as well as her friend Barbara Lamb. Just a quick shout-out, we might have them on the show eventually, so just want to give them a shout-out. I think it would be cool to look at the founding of the country and the importance of having like our rights come from God and the significance of these founding documents. I'd love to have them on to discuss these, these, uh, this, uh, this part of the the founding that was so important at the time, especially from the persecution of not being able to worship in Great Britain. So I think that's that's a very good and and valid argument that he makes here in the second section. I want to move along. So then he gets into the third section. I think this is where he comes in and he's like, "Hey, we need to make the American Magna Carta. We need to come in." And the government should be represented by the people. And so I think this is where he comes in. And this is eventually what the government would actually become is he wanted to make sure that we were a democratic republic. And he argues that, that, hey, we we need to make sure that people are represented from different different uh, from the different colonies, which would eventually be states and different districts, which were later developed. And that people should be represented from these people and the number should be. And pretty much everything that's in our founding documents on on why in the Constitution that like, hey, that we will have these different checks and balances. And this is like this is why our government has the Electoral College that people will be represented by the people and to make sure it's for the people. And and I think that's and that was a great way. And then even in the last segment, as he gets into it and and just showing the military, the prowess of, of being able to stand up to the Brit- Britain, Great Britain's military, and just to have the strength to do so, I think is so key in in uh, in Thomas Paine's common sense. So I think in all in all things, in the matter of is he just goes in that first section. He's like, hey, we the English, the, their constitution is not valid. I feel like there needs to be there needs the power needs to be with the people that we were meant to be free and to have liberty in the pursuit of happiness. And in the second section, that's when he's talking about the monarch and the kingship and using biblical backing in that second section to defend defend just what America would eventually become. And the third section, really getting into it and discussing in uh, America and just the way that it, moving forward, like what is it going to be? What is it? What is it going to be? A representative government or are we going to be a monarchy? We cannot be a monarchy and we can't have kingship. So I think this is this is like the principles that the country was founded on. And then on the last section, being able to look at the military and being able to say, hey, we can actually stand up to Britain. We can actually fight back. We have the lumber. We have the ships. We have everything we need to make sure to, to make sure we guarantee victory and declare independence. And I think he, he ends with such a significant quote in his final section. He goes, until an independence is declared, the continent will feel itself like a man who continues putting off some unpleasant business from day to day. We all do that, right? Day to day, we just put off business, right, Chan? Yeah, absolutely. Especially, uh, especially if it's something that you know will be uncomfortable to do. Yep, and he continues, and he goes, "Yet knows it must be done 
hates to set about it, wishes it over. Oh, I don't want to do it, but we need to do it. And he says, and is continually haunted with the thoughts of its necessity. As th this country, these colonies, to yet be the United States of America, and just to, to put out a pamphlet that would eventually lead to declaring independence and, and, and actually reaffirming that and making sure the United States was born and that we have the freedom and the liberty that we have today. And that is why Thomas Paine's common sense was so important to the founding of this country. It sparked people. The thing is, you think about it, this thing sold 150,000 copies and eventually would sell 500,000 copies. And just to look at how many 150,000 copies during that time is relevant to 3 million people buying that today is just incredible. And the fact that eventually 500,000 people would buy this this pamphlet is, is crazy to think about because there was only 3 million people in, in the American colonies at the time. That's a lot of people reading this pamphlet and talking about it. So it's just, it's remarkable to see how this eventually would lead to declaring independence from Britain and the American Revolutionary War into eventually the founding of America and the significance of it that we're living it right now. Chandler is just remarkable what the founders did and just key people like like Thomas Paine, who many people, oh, he was agnostic and you could look at that and just be like, wow, but even in Thomas Paine, the way he articulated, he was a patriot and wanted to see freedom and liberty across the nation. Do you have any last thoughts, Chan? No, I, I can't agree more. Uh, I, I know that we're running a bit long on time, so I think it'd be uh, smart to jump into Memorial Day um, and, and talk briefly about uh, the reason why we celebrate Memorial Day. It's significant, that, and I think uh, you have some other closing thoughts on that. So uh, briefly, do you want to talk about uh, the significance of Memorial Day that we're going to be celebrating this coming Monday? So Memorial Day, as we all know, is the holiday that represents the mourning and the remembrance of all the soldiers that have passed away in our military. And, and that is through generation after generation. And the reason why we have the freedoms, as we saw in common sense, our declaration of independence, our constitution, our bill of rights, all of those founding documents and the importance of those documents, the reason why people decide to fight for America, they fight for America so that people have the right that were outlined in the Constitution. These, these, are our, these are our founding principles, and I'm so excited to be able to go on this adventure channel with you the next 10 weeks or however long that we feel like we need to go into the founders and just keep reminding people that America is the greatest country, and just Memorial Day is just it, it's significant because it, it just shows just the dedication of our soldiers and the people that have passed. It's and I think it's good to to look at the differences. I know people it's often Memorial Day, oh it's an extra it's the end of May, uh and it's to go out and have fun and have a barbecue, but just to have it have some time to reflect on on what uh the military has really done for this country and defending our rights. And I have a prayer here I just wanted to say just before we conclude our show. Chandler, before I get into that, do you have any thoughts on Memorial Day? Did you have any have anything that you wanted to talk about? Uh, you said that really well. Uh, I guess just briefly uh, that, you know, to to remember the the lives or remember the, the lives and the sacrifice of uh, the soldiers 
uh, who did give their lives for um, our freedom. You know, uh, we are, are the uh, the land of the free because of the brave. It has become a bit of a, a cliche saying, but I, I really like that. Um, you know, we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't be able to enjoy the the types of constitutional freedoms that we do um, if it wasn't for uh, the blood and sacrifice of soldiers uh, who paid the ultimate price for that. So I, I think it's very important that we uh, take some time and uh, remember. Uh, their sacrifice on Memorial Day and uh, always. And like you said, the blood that was shed, that the founders and the people, the patriots that fought for this great country at its founding and the Revolutionary War didn't want to do it, as Thomas Paine articulated. It's something that you don't want to do, but they saw and they seek that it was necessary that they went in there and they actually fought for what was right so that their children and their children's children would be able to have the freedom and be able to have the liberty to live the lives that they wanted to live because their bloodshed in 1776 in those bloody battles that eventually would lead to the founding of America. And I just want to conclude with this prayer. And, and this is just significant. It says, On this Memorial Day, we pray for those who courageously laid down their lives for the cause of freedom. May the examples of their sacrifice inspire us in us the selflessness, love of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless the families of our fallen troops and fill their homes and their lives with your strength and peace. Amen. We'll see you guys next week.